Good morning and welcome to our church at home service. We are so delighted that you could join us this morning. Thank you so much once again for allowing us into your home and into your space. We really do appreciate that. If you're joining us for the first time today, we would like to connect with you. We would like to get to know you better. So please fill in our welcome card that you will find in the description box below. Now, before we continue, I would like to encourage you with this verse. It's found in Isaiah 41 verse 10, and it reads as follows. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is for you, and he will strengthen you in whatever situation that you may find yourself in. And our prayer for you today is that you may find strength in the joy of the Lord. Now let's take a moment to prepare our hearts before we go into the rest of the service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne this morning, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your word that is active and alive. Holy Spirit, I pray, Father God, that your word may be able to bring healing, may be able to bring restoration, may be able to bring comfort in different homes this morning, Father God. We pray, Lord Jesus, that your word may be a lamp unto our feet, O Heavenly Father, that as we hear your word this morning, that it may be able to transform our lives, O Heavenly Father, that it may change our lives, Father God. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we may be able to apply the principles that we are going to be taught about this morning into our lives, Father God, that we do not only hear your word but we become doers of your word father we pray for all of this in the mighty living name of jesus christ and the church said amen so now shaka will encourage us with an offering message and when he is done pastor mondi will be the one delivering today's teaching we are continuing with our series for the month that is titled rise and rebuild thank you Good morning, church family. It is offering time once again. And if you're at home watching with friends or family, I'd like you to turn to someone and just confess and say, I am a giver. We as People's Church would like to thank you for your faithfulness in giving throughout this time. It is through your giving that we are still able to reach you in your homes through our digital means. I'd like to remind us of the God that we serve. In John 3, verse 16, we see a loving God, one who gave his only son. And he did this for two reasons. The first reason is because he loved us. He did not give his only son just because he could. And he, he did not just do it because he loved us. But for the second reason, it was a response to a need. There was a need for our sins to be forgiven as well as the need for eternal life to be given to those who believe in Him. And so, today we have the opportunity to not only be obedient to His Word when it comes to tithes and offerings, but an opportunity to show our love towards Him and to respond to the needs of the Kingdom of God. Be encouraged to continue giving, even during this period, as God continues to love and bless you. The details will appear on the screen. Please do make use of that. 
As we give, I just want to speak a blessing and you can repeat after me. You can say this. Heavenly Father, thank you that you can satisfy our every desire and need. Your word says that we should honor you and worship you. Thank you that we can do that through our giving. Accept our tithes and offering as a gift of worship to you. Multiply what we give for the effective growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we started a brand new series based on the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And the title of the series is Rise and Rebuild. And if you missed that, that uh, sermon from last week, I want you to do yourself a huge favor by stopping this one. Go back to watch that one first, and then you can come back. That's because that one will help you with some of the context and the background to what we are dealing with here. And today, I'd like to preach a message titled, Effecting Positive Change. Effecting Positive Change. And basically, we'll pick up from where the exiles have made the trip for ba from Babylon all the way to Jerusalem. And we are told that about uh, 49,000 or close to 50,000 exiles made that first trip. So this is the largest group of all the three groups. Remember, three groups made uh, uh, separate trips from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And this is the first one and the largest one. And about 50,000 of them made that trip. And where we are going to read today, it's at the point where they've already been back uh, in Jerusalem and they've been there for a couple of months. And we're going to read from Ezra chapter 3, the first seven verses. So from verse 1 to verse 7. And this is how it reads. It says, when the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in the towns. The people gathered as one, as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Josedek, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feasts of booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required. And, and after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who had made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, the king of Persia. Let us just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord. We pray, Father God, that you help us, that you open our ears, open our hearts, Lord God, that you help us to also open our ears and open our hearts to receive what you have for us today, Lord God. We pray, Father, that you help us, Lord God, to really hear and to understand, but more than that, to also be able to put into practice what we learn so that our lives may be changed and transformed. We pray for all this in Jesus Christ's mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. And so it's very interesting because the very first thing that a person does can let us know, you know, can tell us a lot about that person's priorities. 
And here we read that the first official thing that the returning remnant of exiles did was to build or to rebuild the altar after it had been destroyed, you know, a couple of decades before. And it's interesting because here we are not told that the first thing they did was to rise up and to rebuild the temple, even though that was the very reason that they had been sent back. This was the instruction that Cyrus, uh, King Cyrus, the king of Persia, had given them to go back and to rebuild the temple of God. But it is not the first thing that they do. It, it's interesting to note that also the first thing that they do is not to rise up and begin to rebuild or to repair the broken down walls or to repair the burnt down gates, even though that was a very pressing issue at the moment because broken down walls and burnt gates meant that they were not as protected. But here we are told the very first thing, the first official thing that they did was to build an altar to God and to, re, um, to reinstate, you know, all the sacrifices and, and the worship that was there before. And this signifies to me the priority that God had in their lives, you know, this signifies the importance that, that they saw of having God on their side. And this is an important lesson for us as well, you know, that before we undertake anything big or small, that it is important for us to seek God first and foremost, and really not to, to guilt trip anyone. But I would just like to ask us, or to ask us to ask ourselves, you know, that what is the first thing that we do before we undertake a very important project? Or maybe we take a very important trip. What is the first thing that we do? Do we first make sure that we have enough money, you know, for the trip or for the project? Do we first, you know, secure all the help that we need, all the people that need to be hired? Is it to contact? Protect all the right people that are going to help us to be able to pull off what is in front of us. But as children of God, I'd like to encourage us that it is very important for us to make sure that we seek God first and foremost in everything that we do. It's not even that we only need to seek God for things that are difficult, for things that we have never done before, or for things, you know, that we are not sure how to do. It is not that, but it is that we need to seek God first and foremost in in everything that we do, in all the matters of our lives, regardless of whether they are big or they are small. In fact, as the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 15 to 16, he says, and he encourages us, he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your parts. This is an encouragement that in everything that we do, we must never lean on our own experience. We must never lean, you know, on our own understanding, on our own abilities, but we need to always trust upon the Lord and he will make straight our parts. And so I would just like to look at two things that I think they are significances of the altar. You know, what is the significance of the altar in this particular instance? And the first significance of the altar is that the altar was a place of sacrifice. The altar was a place of sacrifice. And so this is a place where the people could bring their sacrifices uh, to God. And really, the reason for that was to fix or to mend their relationship with God and with other people 
around them. So this was done through the sacrificial system that God had taught the nation of Israel through Moses, the man of God, as you also read in this portion of scripture, that God had written down, I mean, that God had, had uh, passed through Moses, and it was written down all the laws uh, concerning the sacrificial system, the worship of God, and the likes. And so the, the altar was a central uh, place in terms of all of that. The altar was the place where they brought their sacrifices. And in Deuteronomy chapter 12, that is where we get more of these kinds of laws surrounding the altar and the place where people worshipped God. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 12, God gives the children of Israel laws concerning how they are to worship him. They were about to enter into the promised land and God is giving them a warning concerning what they are going to find in the promised land. That they are going to find other nations that have their own ways of doing things, their own practices of worship. And he warns them that they are not to worship God the same way that all the other nations around them worship their own gods. And in verse 13 and verse 14, this is where we read, this is Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 13 to 14. This is God instructing his people. He says, be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings any way you please. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything I command you. And this is, there was a very specific place. There was one place that God chose in all the tribes of Israel that God chose that there is where his name is going to be. That is where the people will have to come if they want to offer sacrifices, if they want, you know, to, to worship God. And so that, that, that was the one place that was chosen by God. And it's very interesting because even in this uh, portion that we have read in Ezra chapter 3, it is specific to say even the the new altar that they built was set on its place, which basically means it was set on the place where the old altar had been before because there was one specific place that God had chosen and it was where the temple had been. So they had to find that place. They had to remove the rubble and find the foundations where the old altar had been and that is where they set the new altar. You know, for us, the good news, you know, living in the 21st century, the good news is that you and I do not have to travel to a specific location in order to offer sacrifices to God. And this is because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. When Jesus died upon the cross, a new way of relating to God was made possible. And that is through faith in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. We no longer have to sacrifice animals in order to appease the anger of God or to restore our relationship with God because one sacrifice has already been made and that one sacrifice was final. You know, we can pray to God from wherever we are and have confidence in our hearts that God hears our prayers. And if you are a believer here this morning, you do not need to slaughter an animal to ask for God's forgiveness. And that's because of the cross of Calvary and what took place on that cross more than 2,000 years ago, that God sacrificed his one and only son, who is the perfect lamb, who, which takes away the sins of the world. And so when you and I accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, God completely forgives us of all of our sins. And this is because Jesus is the lamb who was sacrificed 
once and for all, and his sacrifice was acceptable to God for all human beings and for all time. If, on the other hand, you are not a believer today, in other words, you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, or maybe you once did in the past, but have since went back to your old life of sins, this is where you find yourself now, the bad news is that your sins are not forgiven you, that you do not have peace with God And should you die right now, or should the Lord Jesus Christ come back right now, the scripture is clear to tell us that you will be sent to hell, where you will be tormented for day and night, forever and ever. And it will be painful, it will be agonizing, but it's not too late for you. You can still make things right with God. You can still place your faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior of your life. That's the first thing, which was the significance of the altar, is that it was a place of sacrifice. The second thing is that it was a place of worship. And so, you know, just like the offering of sacrifices, the people had to come to the altar in order to worship God. This uh, does not mean that a person could not just uh, sing songs of praise and worship, you know, from wherever they find themselves. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that the altar and the sacrificial system was integral in their worship to God. In fact, the altar and the sacrificial system was the thing that made their worship to God acceptable. And so their worship was linked to the altar, which was in the physical place. And for us today, as believers, if you are a believer, our worship is not tied to the altar or to the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. It is tied to the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is tied, you know, to to, to that sacrifice that God made on our behalf. And so Jesus and his sacrifice is the one who cleanses us and makes us acceptable to God. And we can worship God from wherever we find ourselves. We can, you can worship God from where you are right now at home or, you know, as you are traveling, you can worship God in your workplace and in your office space. You do not need to go to a specific place to worship God. And that is good news for us. And right now, I'm just going to look at a couple of things that we can learn from this passage. And, and really what I see here is that the altar in the temple basically had been destroyed. You know, when, the, when uh, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, besieged the city and, and took people captive. So the altar in the temple had been destroyed back then. And no sacrifice had been offered to God in decades, in close to 50 years. No sacrifices and, and really uh, worship in terms of that uh, system of worshiping God had been offered to God in, in close to 50 years because there was no altar. And now the remnant, there was returning from exile wanted to do something about that. They wanted to rebuild their lives according to God's word, according to God's pattern as it had been revealed through Moses. And if you really think about it, what they were doing here, they were effecting 
positive change. They saw something in their situation, in their surrounding that they were not happy with and wanted to do something about it. Their identity as a nation had been destroyed together with the temple because remember that their identity as a nation came from their relationship with God, which uh, the temple was a central piece and the altar was a central piece in that. And so when those two were destroyed, even their identity as a nation had been destroyed. And so this is something they cared enough about that they wanted to do something about it. They were effecting positive change. And so in today's passage, I see three specific things that they did. And these things are the things that the change they wanted to see required. And it may be that the change that you want to see in your life, in your workplace, in your marriage, in your community, these are the things that that change may require of you. And so there's three things that I see that their change, the change they wanted to see required. And that's what we are going to do for the rest of our time here today. And the first thing is that change requires unity. Change requires unity. Verse 1, Ezra chapter 3 begins with the words, When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. They gathered together as one man. And this is basically another way of saying they were united. They were like one person. You know, they were knit together around a common purpose. So they were united. And when you study the Bible, at some point it becomes clear to you just how important uh, unity is to God. And today, I just like to point out two incidences in Scripture that really underline for me the centrality and the importance of unity to God. And the first incident is found in Genesis chapter 11. That's the account of the Tower of Babel. And basically what happened here is that we are told that the people all had one language and one speech. All the people of the entire world, everyone at that point in time who was alive, they all had a common language and a common speech. And so they came together and wanted to make a name for themselves. In, in Genesis 11, verse 4, it says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of of the whole earth. And so basically, they wanted to, to create a reputation for themselves. They wanted to write their names in the pages of history. And they wanted to build a, a tower that reached up to the dwelling place of God with its top to the heavens. And without getting really into the theology of the Tower of Babel, I want us to just look at God's response to this thing that they wanted to do for themselves. In verse 6, we are told that, and the Lord said, behold, they are one people, which means they are united. Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Did you catch that last line? That because they are united now, nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And imagine, you know, they were just united around something that is selfish. They wanted to just 
just make a name for themselves, a reputation for themselves. You know, this was a selfish goal and a selfish motive that they had. And already God is saying, because of their unity, nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Now imagine with me what would be possible if the Christians united around something that is positive, around a goal that is positive. And I can tell you right now that those Christians would turn the whole world upside down. And so the second incident in the scriptures that underline the centrality and the importance of unity when it comes to God is actually found in Acts chapter 2. And that is the account of the day of Pentecost, the, 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 the Holy Spirit, you know, being poured out on the disciples. In, in Acts chapter 2, if we read the first two verses, this is what it says. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So basically, the disciples were united, you know, and, and the Holy Spirit came down and was poured out, and they were each filled with the Holy Spirit. And we all know what they, through the power of the Holy Spirit, did. Because the scriptures also tell us in Acts chapter 17, verse 6 to 7, it says, And when they could not find them, you know, so these are the people of the town looking for the disciples. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king who is Jesus. So they the disciples, when they were united and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, they turned the whole world upside down. Even the pagans, you know, even the unbelievers confessed with their mouth that these men have turned the whole world upside down. Could it be that the reason that we are so ineffective as the church of Jesus Christ today is because we are so divided? Could it be possible that the answer, you know, to our prayers is that we come to together and we unite ourselves. And so after seeking God through prayer in his word, the next thing that we need to do if we want to effect positive change, the next thing we need to do is to ensure that there is unity. That is the next step and that is what they did here. And so one of the things that uh, usually destroy unity in our lives, you know, in our workplaces, in the teams that we are a part of, one of the things that normally destroys unity is people wanting to get credit for the work or credit for the outcome. And listen to, to how Ralph Waldo Emerson puts it. He said, there is no limit to what can be accomplished if it doesn't matter who gets the credit. There is no limit to what can be accomplished if it doesn't matter who gets the credit. So that's the first thing that change requires, is that change requires unity. Secondly, change requires initiative. In Ezra chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Then Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses. 
Moses, the man of God. You see, you and I need to realize, you know, that the change that we seek to see in the world will not take place by itself. You know, it will require us to do something. It will require us to get involved and to take initiative. The Bible says that these guys, you know, these few men, uh, when, when compared to the entire assembly that was there that day, these few men are the ones that arose and built the altar of the God of Israel. And we can get as angry as we want about the current state of things, the current situation that you find yourself in. And also we can pray as much as we want until we are blue in the face. And we can be as united as we want. If we do not arise and take initiative, we will never be able to see the change that we seek to see in our world and in our environment and in our situation. You know, this is a place that I think we as Christians normally make a mistake, normally get it wrong. You know, at some point we, we convince ourselves that prayer alone will affect the change that we seek to see. We convince ourselves that if we want, you know, our situation to change, the answer is in prayer. Now, prayer is good. There's absolutely nothing that is wrong with prayer, but it is never, or it is almost never prayer alone that brings about the change that we seek to see. At some point, you and I will have to arise We'll have to, you know, get up from our knees and begin to take initiative to do something that needs, that we need to do to effect the change that we seek to see. And so it's not whether I should pray or apply for that job. It is normally I should pray and apply for that job. It's not whether should I pray or share the gospel with my colleagues or my family members. It's not whether I should pray or approach that lady that I am interested in. It is both and the same. Uh, the both are necessary in the same way that the Israelites did not say, should we pray about the altar or should we just get up and do the altar? They, they did both. They both are necessary. And so I'd like to ask you, what change do you seek to see in your environment, in your community? What change do you seek to see? It could be, you know, seeing your community being safer than it is right now. It could be your family drawing closer to God. It could be your local uh, school producing better results. It could be your workplace being more godly. It could be your marriage becoming healthy. Again, your children getting along with each other and with their parents. And you and I need to realize that for that change to materialize, for that change to take place in our lives, at some point, after having done all of these other things, at some point we'll have to arise, take initiative, and do something about it. And yes, prayer is good, and unity is important and necessary, but they do not replace the need for us to take initiative. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give support, to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Listen, God is going to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for someone he can empower, looking for someone he can use, looking for someone he can give strong support to. And, and he's looking for someone who is putting his hand up saying, I will take initiative. I will do something about this situation. I will not just complain about it. I will not just be angry about it. I will not even just pray about it. I am going to do something about it. That is the person that God is looking for. A person who says, even if no one else helps me in this,
says, I will build this altar. Even if no one comes along, you know, and does it, I will keep my community safe. Even if no one else does it, I will help our local school to produce better results. That is the second thing that change requires. It requires initiative. This is what these, uh, these few Israelites did. They arose and took initiative. The third one, and lastly, the third thing that change requires is change requires courage. Change requires courage. And in verse 3 of Ezra chapter 3, this is where we read, They set the altar in its place, for fear was, was on them because of the peoples of the land. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Burnt offerings morning and evening. And you know, depending on the translation of the Bible that you use, this verse is normally rendered in one of two ways. And there's one small difference that makes a big difference in the, in the overall message of the word. If you, if you read, you know, from the New King James Version. This is, where, this is what the same verse says. It says, Though fear had come upon them because of the peoples of the countries, they set the altar on its basis. And I like that, you know, very much because uh, it says, Although fear had come upon them because of their surrounding situation, which, which uh, really um, attests to the fact that they were afraid, that it is okay for some time uh, for us to also get afraid because of the situation that we find ourselves in. But the thing that they did not do was not to say, because we are afraid, therefore we are not going to do something about this. You know, we are afraid of the nations. We are afraid of what they might do to us. We are not going to get involved. And it's interesting because courage is actually defined as the ability to do something that frightens you. And so this means that courage is not the absence of fear. And this is something that we also uh, sometimes make a mistake about when we think that courage is the absence of fear or that a courageous person is the person who has no fear, who is afraid of nothing. So we say, I will do it once I stop being afraid. You know, I will get around to doing something about it, but right now I'm still afraid. But courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is when your resolve to do something is greater than your fear of doing it. Courage is when your resolve within your heart to do something is greater than your fear of doing it. Ezra chapter 3, verse 3 from the New King James, although fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries and those nations, they set the altar on its basis and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning offerings and the evening burnt offerings. And so courage has everything to do with our resolve and very little to do with our emotions and how we are feeling. And so don't let fear uh, stop you, you know, or affect you from doing the positive change that you seek to see in your world and in your community. Do it scared if you need to. Do it uh, despite the fear that you may be feeling at the moment. So courage has very little to do with our emotions and has everything to do with our resolve, with our decision, with our willpower. So don't let the fear of effective, effecting positive change talk you out of doing, uh, taking initiative and doing the change that you seek to see in your world and in your situation that is around you. And so the fear, actually, if you think about it, fear, which is a normal thing, you know, that happens in our lives, fear of danger should actually drive us closer 
to God because God is our refuge. God is our shelter. God is our strength. God is our banner. God is the one who goes ahead of us. He's the one who is our rear guard. He is the one who goes ahead of us and fights our battles for us. And so when we feel fear, we should actually do as they did, that they actually drew closer to God. They made sure that the temple, that the altar was built, that they, you know, sacrificed on the altar to God, that they prayed to God. They drew themselves closer to God despite or even because of the fear. So do not be ashamed if you are feeling fear you know, uh, in your heart regarding your current situation. Do not be ashamed, but let that fear draw you towards God or push you to seek God even more. Because as a child of God, really when you think about it, there is no reason for us to be afraid. When you really think about how big God is and who God is, you realize that there's no reason for us to be afraid. But that doesn't mean that we will not become afraid from time to time. So we shouldn't be ashamed if we are feeling fear in our hearts. But that fear should remind us and push us to run towards God because he is our place of safety. He is our shelter and our rock. And I wonder what it is that God is calling you to do right now in your situation, in your world, in your community, that God is calling you to do, but you are afraid. There's fear in your heart. You know, you're afraid that it might not work out. You're afraid, you know, that you might get rejected. You are afraid, you know, that, that you know, you might, you might fail in this endeavor that God is calling you to do. And yes, it is true. You may be afraid, but I'd like to challenge you to do it anyway, to do it despite of the fear and to do it even with fear and trembling in your heart, but to obey God's word because courage is going through with it despite the fear. Courage is when your resolve to do it you know, is greater than your fear of doing it. And in conclusion, you know, you may be listening to me, and there is something that you have been wanting to do. There is something that God has been calling you to do, but fear got the better of you. You may even have started, but you did not finish because you got afraid, because something or someone frightened you, and you stopped doing what God had, you know, asked you to do. It could have been fear of failure, fear of being embarrassed, fear of the opposition, as in the case of the Israelites. And I would like to ask you to ask yourself this question. You know, ask yourself this question. What is the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen if I go through with this, if I do what God is calling me to do? What's the worst that could happen? And yes, you might fail. I might fail. And then what? You know, what after that? What if we fail? So what if we fail? You know, yes, it might not work out. And then what? You know, because many times uh, in our lives, fear is actually not the problem. But how we interpret the fear is normally the problem in our lives. We think failure is the end of the world. We think failure, you know, is the end of our lives. And listen, and listen very well. The biggest mistake that you and I can make is to not start or not to go through with it, not to do anything because we are afraid. That is the greatest mistake that we can make. The greatest mistake is not to try and fail. The greatest mistake is not to even try at all. 
because of fear or failure. John Maxwell says this, and I find it extremely helpful. He says, sometimes I win and sometimes I learn. Think about that for a moment. Most of the time we say, sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. He says, I never lose. Sometimes I win, but some other times I learn. Fear, I mean, failure is an opportunity for us to learn. It's an opportunity for us to get better. It's an opportunity for us, you know, to become better versions of ourselves and to get up and to try again. Fear of failure, you know, really doesn't really make much sense because failure is not the end of the world. In, in, you know, in, in, in fact, failure is an opportunity for us to get better. And so I'd like to leave you with a challenge today, something that I would like you to do this week. And this is what I'd like to challenge you with, you know, on the positive change that you would like to see in your world, in your community, in your life, in your family. I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself, what is the most appropriate next step that I can take to affect, to effect that positive change that I would like to see? What is the next step that I could take? Maybe for you, it is actually the first step. What is the first step that I need to take that is appropriate for me in this uh, change that I would like to see? And it could mean signing up for a cause, signing up for something. It could mean signing up. It could mean creating a WhatsApp group and just adding a few people and starting the conversation. It could be sharing your idea with another person and just verbalizing and saying it out loud. That's what could be the next step for you in the change that you seek to see. It could be reserving a name for that company. It could mean, you know, taking yourself into rehab. It could mean asking someone to hold you accountable on that thing that has been a difficulty in your life. It could mean confessing your sin to someone else and help and asking them to help you as you navigate this journey. What is the next step for me that is appropriate in the change that I seek to see in my life, in my world, in my community? And I know that you may be scared, you know, but don't let that fear deter you from doing what you need to do, from taking initiative, from arising and doing what you need to do. And you could also be listening to me today. And the next step for you is actually accepting Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Listen, Jesus died on the cross so that your sins and my sins could be forgiven. You know, unlike the Israelites, you and I do not need to travel to a specific location and slaughter animals in order to get our sins forgiven by God. Jesus was the sacrifice that was the perfect sacrifice that was accepted and was sacrificed once and for all. He was sacrificed once for all people of all times, for all your sins in all of your life. And the only thing that you and I need to do is to simply repent and believe. And repentance is all about turning your life. You turn away from your lifestyle of sin. You turn away from how you have been living your life up until this point, And you turn towards God. You turn towards everything that God wants for you. You turn towards, you know, God's word and how he wants you to live your life. And believing is about accepting Jesus, accepting what God did uh, through Jesus Christ on your behalf and accepting Jesus to be your personal Lord and to be your personal Savior. And you can do it today. You can do it right now. You can do it right where you are. And to do that, you just need to pray to God. You need to take ownership of your sins. You know, you need to take ownership and responsibility of the things that you have done. The fact that you have lived your life according to what seemed best to you. You have done the things that you wanted to do, things that 
bring you pleasure, that make you happy. And you have done, you know, you've committed sins in your life. So you need to take ownership and responsibility. You need to ask for God's forgiveness, for God to, to cleanse you and to forgive you of all of your sins and for God to accept you and make you his child. You know, the Bible says that whoever is in Christ is a new creation, that you become a child of God. And the last thing, you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. So I hope that you will do this if it is something that you have never done before, that you will take it seriously, that you will get on your knees, that you will pray to God and really believe in your heart, you know, that, that this is something that you need to do, that this is something that is right for you to do. Don't just do it because other people do it. Don't just do it because other people have told you to do it, but do it because it makes sense to you. You realize what you have done and you realize what God has done on your behalf. Let us pray and close. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Father, for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross that ushered us in to a completely new way of relating to you, of getting to know you, of getting into a relationship with you. Thank you, Lord God, that we no longer have to travel to a specific location, that we do not have to offer animals as sacrifices, but we can simply accept the, the one sacrifice that you have sacrificed on our behalf once and for all. Thank you for the offer of salvation that has been made possible because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. I pray for each and every person who is turning to you right now, Lord God. I pray that you take them, that you make them your own, that you make them into that new creation that your Bible speaks of, Lord God, that you that there's a clear separation from this moment onward, that the past is gone and the new has come, Lord God. We pray, Father, that you may help them to be able to grow and to mature, to become everything that you want them to be. Help them on this new journey by placing people around them that are going to walk with them and help them to become everything that you want them to be. We thank you, Father God. We lift your name up and we praise you in Jesus Christ's mighty name, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Take care. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that you have been equipped to effect positive change in your workplace, in your communities, and in your families. And as we go into the new week, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep well, stay safe, and take care. Hi. My name is Mundi Kwen, and together with my wife, we pastor People's Church. I'm so glad that you chose to join us online today, and I pray that God uses this resource to make you more and more like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to note that these kinds of resources are never meant to replace the need for you to belong to a local church congregation where you are led and shepherded, a place where you can use your gifts and your resources to make a positive impact on the lives of the people around you. This is only meant to supplement and not substitute them. And lastly, I would like to ask you, if these resources have been of benefit to you, would you kindly consider giving to People's Church? This is so that we can continue to invest in technologies that help us and enable us to increase our reach and spread the message of Jesus Christ even wider and to even more people. For ways to do that, you can go to our website and click on the giving tab and you'll see ways to be able to give. 
Now, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Take care and God bless you.